0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Afterthoughts. This is um, a chance for me and Jan to have a discussion around ideas that came up during our flourishing series, where we looked at the Beatitudes of Jesus, this introduction to a Sermon on the Mount. Now, I know we've already done 9, 10, 11 weeks on basically 11 verses of this Sermon on the Mount, but in... In our conversations while we were working through the series, we discovered that these first 12 verses are so rich and often misunderstood or overlooked or considered inappropriate that even from the beginning, we, um, in conversation, decided that, you know what, let's have a conversation after we finish the series, just to kind of maybe help people realize just how rich it is. When you start scratching the surface here, there's just so much, so much beauty, and richness to the teachings of Jesus. So uh, this podcast is really going to share maybe four other ideas that can help shape the way we understand um, these Beatitudes, these flourishing ideas of Jesus. So Jan is joining me this morning. Hi. Yeah. And we are at the parish. We wish you were here. Um, It would be wonderful to have this discussion on a Sunday morning and include you in it. But for now, we're going to have a conversation and our hope is that uh, maybe you can email in your ideas and thoughts and um, we can continue to have this conversation because we really believe that these are big
1: ideas they sure are big ideas Aaron I, I loved what you said about uh, you know 12 or weeks in 12 verses and it was a bit daunting when I prepped my first one because I had been talking about parables, which, you know, there's a whole story there, and I thought, how am I going to make a sermon out of one verse? But now, I often found that half of the prep work I had done ended up on the scrap heap, because there was so much there. <laughs>
0: it's true. It's true. And what I discovered is when I would do my beatitude, whichever one I was working on, after I had spoken it, and uh, we would have conversations, and then you do the next beatitude, I had ideas about the one I'd already spoken on that were somehow connected to the one you had done. Like the idea is just keep building here. It's not that it's um, a simple truth once understood, it's unchanging. I think there's something dynamic about the teachings of Jesus, that it kind of lands on us where we are in any given moment, and that could change. So I could preach the same sermon on the same beatitude next year, might hit the high points, but would probably land it in a completely different place, which I find so mysterious and beautiful um, and rich. Well, the first idea is simply this, that we're not fully listening or hearing what Jesus is really saying. There was a meme floating around the internet that I saw that had the scripture verse that is Jesus speaking to his disciples where he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And the picture behind the scripture was Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. So somehow, the assumption is that when Jesus says, keep my commandments, he's speaking of the laws of Moses. Now Jesus isn't saying, don't keep the laws of Moses, but he's saying, if you love me, keep my commands, his teachings, and these are new. If you've followed them around the dusty streets of Palestine, you'll realize that Jesus's teachings are often a reinterpretation of Moses's. They expand, they blow up, they're bigger. So let's talk about the ramifications in this first little segment. But what happens when we don't fully hear what it is Jesus is saying? So, Jan, have you found that to be true, that that we often either aren't listening or not really hearing Jesus when he says these life-giving statements?
1: Yeah, I think so, Aaron. I, you know... One of the challenge, one of the great things about having been a Christian for 65 years is God's been chipping away at my uh, rough spots for 65 years. But the bad thing is that I can think I already know what a verse says, and I don't mm-hmm. even really read it. And right. forcing myself to see it fresh. I've even um, back when I, I knew a bit more German, I would read in German the text I was looking at, because it would force me to actually think about every word and what that word meant. And that was just helpful for me because it's so easy to just glide over it. And, you know, these are just sort of a soft introduction to some teachings instead of being richness in yeah. and of themselves. Yeah.
0: It's kind of like when people are in a relationship for a long period of time, they finish each other's sentences. <laughs> and I think that sometimes when you're a Christian for a long time, you think you can finish Jesus's sentences. Yeah. But um, if I've learned anything like you, I've been, you know, um, in, uh, active in the Christian faith for a long time. And I think I know a lot. Um, it's almost like I think we think that Christianity is like a finish line of information. Once you know it, you've broke the code. The Christianity's broken the God code. And it's just a matter of sharing the code. But that's not it at all. The teachings of Jesus aren't meant to be um, like trophies of once you understand them, you understand them they're constantly prodding us in our human nature to become everything we're created to be, everything we're, we're able to be, you know? And I think sometimes we can dismiss that. So last fall, last November, there was a headline that crossed, it crossed my, um, my laptop. Somehow I ended up getting it, I don't know, I can't remember if someone sent it to me or what, but it was, it was November 2021. And it was an event that was being held in Kansas City, Missouri and you may, have, you may have heard about this, you may have seen it, but I was deeply troubled because it was an event by an organization called the Salt and Light Brigade. So immediately the name of this Christian organization, Salt and Light Brigade, is has connotations for uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, which is the verses that we just touched on the last two weeks that kind of end the Beatitudes, that are directly connected to the Beatitudes. Um, you can't Disconnect them. They're there. And so um, I was intrigued seeing the name of this group, Salt and Light Brigade. <clears throat> and what they were doing is they were advertising an event in Missouri for Christians to learn um, hand-to-hand combat. So the tagline for this event, this mission of, this, of the Salt and Light Brigade, is to stop and repel the forces of darkness. Okay, So Salt and Light Brigade, our mission, to stop and repel the forces of darkness they were hosting what they called a tactical event in southwestern missouri to train christians in hand-to-hand combat and combat actions in your car so the event was to teach christians how to use guns and defend yourself in a car using you know and, and hand-to-hand hand-to-hand combat wow yeah so Immediately, we're part of an Anabaptist group which believes in the nonviolent resolution of conflict, so immediately my ears perk up when I hear there's a Christian group organizing an event to train Christians how to fight. Immediately, I'm I'm like, okay, you know, they must be, you know, how do you wrestle with the teachings of Jesus? Love your enemy means don't kill him. <laughs> he says that's what it means to me. But what really troubled me was the name of the group. Salt and Light Brigade. So, They've taken a verse out of context, you know, without seeing the connection it has to everything else. So for them, being the salt in the earth is about ridding the earth of infection, right? Being the light is about chasing the darkness out of the the corners of our room. So I looked into the group a bit more because, like I said, it just started getting me down a rabbit trail. Um, It's run by a 35-year-old, sorry, a uh, an older gentleman who was a 35-year-old 35-year uh, veteran as a high school football coach which is great it's wonderful but he claims on his website that it's not an organization it's an organism dedicated to restoring righteousness to America so immediately I'm I'm like okay I'm I'm troubled he has a podcast called Pass the Salt once again reference to this teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter five, verse twelve. And Jan, you did a great job two weeks ago, in a in a message called uh, what do we call it? <laughs> I
1: can't remember. Certainly getting the salt out of the salt. Paper.
0: Yeah, salt's in the title, but um, talking about the the beauty of what Jesus is speaking of and connecting it to the beatitudes. But as I got farther and farther into this website, um, this group called Pass the Salt, the Salt and Light Brigade. Their vision is to unite, organize, and mobilize the army of God to be salt and light, as stated in Matthew chapter five. This is on their mission statement. So then I go to the shop section of the page. They're selling t-shirts. Here's one of the t-shirts. Protect the flock with a Glock. No. I'm dead serious. I ordered you one for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Protect the flock with a Glock. Uh, I don't know if those listening know, a Glock is a handgun. And, you know, there's another shirt that says, truth sounds like hate. Like, you can't make this stuff up. You know, I, I, like, uh, reading it, I was, I was just so shocked. And this is why I'm troubled that we take these scriptures out of context, build entire ministries around them. We build a business around where the salt and light and... I'm pretty sure that those listening would agree, growing up, the concept of salt and light was unattached from Beatitudes. Was it for you that way?
1: Yeah, for sure. And it was about doing evangelism and and trying to convert people and pressurizing yeah. people and using fear tactics to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to get them into the kingdom. But your point about taking things out of context, that is something that is really, I think... That getting over that is something that's transformed my approach to Scripture over the last couple of years. I mean, for instance, you talked about it in just the, the overarching framework of this sermon, that Jesus goes up the mountain, mm-hmm. and then at the end, uh, Matthew says, the crowds were astonished with his teaching. So this is teaching to the crowds, but it's easy if you don't yeah. read the whole context, to think, oh, this is really only for the twelve, and I don't need to pay attention. So, understanding the context is so critical.
0: You're just to your point that growing up, this was about evangelism. Mm-hmm. It still is, and I tried to, you know, in in talking about the light portion of this in last week's message, um, the idea that Jesus, this isn't about proselytization. No, you it's know,
1: about infecting the community.
0: It is beautifully infecting yes. the community. Yeah. And the, even the concept of being light, it's about being a light in such a way that other people are able to find their way. Yes. And, you know, and Jesus says, live your lives in such a way that people see your beautiful deeds, what you do, and are able to connect it to your relationship to God. Like, that's what it's about. But it's not about conversion. It's about illumination. Mm-hmm. It's about, like you say, influence. Yes. It's about... um that kind of thing. But unattached from the previous Beatitudes, it just becomes a, um, a hammer mm-hmm. in a world that says, you know, we look at salt as purely a purifying agent, light as something that scatters the darkness. And I can totally understand why people use these verses brutally, but they're missing the magic of the journey of faith mm-hmm. because they've unattached it from, you know, what Jesus is saying about learning Um, to flourish when you're mourning, learning to flourish as seeing meekness as a a beautiful way of being and not just as a flaw of character, you know? Um, Yeah. So, so I guess what I'm saying is, I think there's, I, I just am witnessing just a lot of people that when they get it wrong at the start, thinking that we're supposed to be salt and light, but they don't understand what Jesus means by that, there's, it's really hard to get back on track and and find what it is we're supposed to find. Yes. Because we don't start at salt and light. We start with mourning, poor spirit, pure in heart. That's where we start. And then Jesus brings those people. Once they, he validates them where they are, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And I just I, that excites me. I want to bring people back to this mountain.
1: Yeah, and uh, thanks for picking up on that point about evangelism. This really is about bringing the good news, but it's bringing it by living it, Mm -hmm. not by shouting it. That when I was uh, prepping some of the sermons for this series that it was a bit daunting to think that I could get a whole sermon out of one verse, out of, in some cases, nine or ten words. And so I had to look at every word, and one of the things that struck me is that the you, you are the salt of the earth, blessed are you uh, when you mourn, Is plural Hmm. and I grew up in a context where it was all aimed toward me and my personal relationship with Jesus (laughs) and this radically not not replaced that, but busted it open, added to it. I I still think and relish having a personal relationship with Jesus, Mm -hmm. but that's just the beginning, not the end. How does that resonate with you Aaron?
0: Well, I grew up in the same culture. Maybe we sat together. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. We even use the phrase personal Lord and Savior. Um, People probably don't realize listening that that's actually a fairly new phenomenon. Like several, like maybe even a hundred years old, this concept of personal Lord and Savior. Grew up out of the camp meeting, an evangelistic explosion in the 60s and 70s. Um, But prior to that, the concept was different. Um, But even more so to your point, looking at the Jewish concept of salvation, it's very, it's more corporate, it's more um, communal. Um, And you're right, there is an aspect of it that's personal, for sure. But there's also an aspect of it that is um, communal. And we can't have communal without the personal. But we recognize the communal part is when we realize the personal is to be a part of the community. And I'm, I'm not Everything I'm just a part of it. It's the body of Christ kind of motif. So I I agree. There's something really Amazing when Jesus says when he says you he means Anyone listening to this
1: and it's when you talk about a part of it to the image that came to mind Is that one that you posted with the salt talk where the salt shakers fallen over in these large? So it's it's not hmm. us having an impact because there's so many of us isolated individuals that we can change the flavor of something yeah. It's, it's a community. It's the yep. connectedness. Um, I used a couple of stories when I was talking about salt, um, the one about when the missionaries came to England yeah. and um, how they transformed the community just by valuing life. They were rescuing these people who had been abandoned to death on the hillsides because they were a burden on their community. And these monks went out and rescued them and brought them in. And so it was that... How they were functioning as a community, or the the case in Zambia, where you couldn't send somebody home with a pill, a, a bottle of antibiotic pills, because they would share them across the whole village until they were gone. They were incapable of keeping them to, to themselves. themselves. Yeah, and it, it made me think of. Um, Another, actually, African reference, I think you know that from a number of years I attended an Anglican church in Toronto, and there was one of the blessings at the end of the service was talked about, um, may the the blessing of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon you and remain with you always.
0: Mm.
1: And I always heard that personally. Mm -hmm. But we had an African bishop visiting once, and when Mm. he gave the blessing, um, the, the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest among you
0: and remain mm. with you
1: always. That it's not something I can take by myself and run home and hang on to. It only yeah. exists in the among.
0: Ooh, I like that. That's incredible. Yeah. And those ideas change so much of our understanding of a lot of things. You know? Yeah.
1: You know, so um, that notion of among is actually in some of Jesus' teaching, but the translators who probably had a more individualistic right. bent translated differently. So um, in Luke 17, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is within you. And boy, that really you know, resonates with the me and myself. That word within is equally accurately translated among. Again, it gives this sense that this is only something we can do as a community. Not just because me, on my own efforts, I can't individually transform people. I need more people helping me. Yeah. But it's not us individually each doing the same thing. It's how we relate together. It's, it's yeah. the community we create. It's being that radically different way of living can influence and shift the community.
0: Yeah. It's the compounding effects. Yeah of people living in community together. There, there was a number of years ago, a friend uh, was part of a church plant and uh, it would, had been had, they'd been meeting for about a year and I was asking them how it was going and they said, well, it would be great except for there's a couple people that come and they're just such a pain. It would be so much better <laughs> if they weren't there. And I remember stopping and thinking, okay, so you're saying church would be better if it was just all the people you liked. But the problem is that's not church.
1: Exactly. I think that uh, the automobile has become a great enemy of the church. And so, Mm. historically, um, churches, Anglican and Catholic churches, would be parishes. It'd be a chunk of geography that was assigned to your church, that was your parish, and everybody was within walking distance. And so... They had to resolve conflicts about whether we sing hymns or worship right. choruses, whether we have long sermons or short sermons, whether yep. we, you know, wear choir robes or <laughs> keep it casual. <laughs> figure it out. Yeah, you have to figure it out. But you know, <clears throat> now you can curate. You can find your your group who like things exactly the way you do, yeah. and drive to be with them.
0: Yeah, In, and drive by six or seven churches. Correct. Yeah, to find your tribe, so to speak, or really, it's your group of people that think like you.
1: Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, talks about about a lot of these ideas. So he was living in the the seminary at the time, and um, he just talks about the fact that there were conflicts, there were people who just didn't get along, and he was irritated by that at first. But he came over Mm -hmm. his time in the seminary to discover that the guys who drove him nuts were the ones that were actually most helpful to him. Mm That it doesn't take love to get along with the guy who agrees with everything that you think and who is sensitive yeah. to your foibles and and how you like to relate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it reminds me of the verse where Jesus says, "Don't invite people in for dinner who are going to invite you back." Right. You know, there's no cost involved in that. You can you can invite them, but don't give yourself brownie points for that. It's for the people who yeah. who can't pay you back, who for whom there is a net cost for you to choose to be involved with them. Yeah. And so Bonhoeffer really came to rejoice in the guys that rubbed him the wrong way a lot because learning mm-hmm. to love them taught him so much about love. And it's that kind of love that I think will be transform- no- noticeable and transformative in our communities.
0: Yeah, There's something beautiful about recognizing that we are more than the sum total of our individual parts, that together we are something. Um. It reminds me. It reminds me, though, the idea of a practicing the community that Bonhoeffer describes. In, in you're a doctor, so you you get this idea. You know, they they call it practicing medicine. Yeah. And to me, we're practicing faith when we gather together on a Sunday morning. The assumption is we all don't get along. We come to practice the things we're learning from Jesus, which is how to get along, which is how to have grace for each other and compassion for each other, how to forgive, how to let go, and We forget that it's a practice because, once again, the individualized Western evangelical Christianity tells us that faith is a finish line. You get saved, then you're saved, and then we'll just wait for the end. As opposed to salvation's a process. We're not being saved from, we're being saved to something beautiful. And we come on Sundays to practice this faith. And um, it's meant to be transformative and not just for us. Yes. You know, for others. So um, that's why, you know, when people say to me, Aaron, are you a Christian? And I, I say, I joke often, but I, I'm dead serious. When sometimes people say, are you a Christian? I'll say, no, but I'm becoming one because the word Christian means Christ-like.
1: Yes.
0: And I'd love to be Christ-like, but um, it's the process of learning to live like Jesus mm-hmm. and uh, just recognize that I haven't, I haven't arrived yet. And, you know, as some would listen to that statement and think, oh, man, that's terrible, you know, it sounds like you're ashamed. No, no, actually, it's it's never been anything but a beautiful conversation starter for people to say, wow, that's interesting that you say you're becoming one. You know, when will you finally be one? <laughs> I don't know. Because, like I said, the word means Christ-like. I'm sure there are glimpses that people have had where they would say, but the early church, if you had said they were Christ-like, they would be like, what? No, I'm a Christ follower, right? They were known as... Children or, or people of the way of Jesus. Um, it, uh, Christian wasn't a title they used for themselves. It was a title that was given as a description.
1: And that word, the way, is lovely because it really encapsulates the notion of journey. That yeah. it's, a, it's a journey, not a destination. Yeah,
0: yeah for sure. For sure.
1: Well, I,
0: thanks for your connection there and the emphasis on the you um, referencing to. All of us that find ourselves in the previous 10, ten verses. is wonderful. In another idea around the Beatitudes, I was intrigued as we were working through this series. Um, some of you who listened to the first episode on uh, the introduction to flourish, I talked about um, how that w- Greek word makarios is, um, can be translated as happy are you or um, um, a, a variety of ways, but one of the ways is flourishing. And uh, the idea in the word chosen helps us understand everything that comes after. And the idea of that Greek word makarios is an observation made of someone who can flourish um, with these specific life circumstances or attributes, um, and it's intriguing. So in doing my research, trying to understand that word and um, wanting to do my best to try and understand Jesus, which is really what I was trying to do, just these easily misunderstood statements. What's Jesus getting at? Because I wanted to be amazed, right? Jen, we talked about this, that if if the crowd walks away from this and they're amazed, we got to dig deep here till we're amazed. And so I was doing a lot of different reading and I stumbled upon a uh, psychiatrist named Joseph Benton Howell. Um, And this guy uh, had done some writing and one of the connections he made was... As a psychologist, he read the Beatitudes, and he was intrigued. He was intrigued because they they seemed to address um, uh, different areas that he'd come to study and recognized in psychology, specifically around human nature and who we are as people. And as he did his own research as a psychiatrist studying psychology, also someone who is reading these teachings of Jesus he wondered and hypothesized if Jesus is really addressing personality types. For those of you who see the world this way, I'm going to tell you something that's antithetical and paradoxical, but it is the way forward. Because as a psychiatrist, he recognizes we get stuck. And the way forward for us is often counterintuitive. And sometimes these beatitudes seem so counterintuitive. And so... In his research, for 30 years or so, he connected these teachings of Jesus to a specific typology, a specific um, uh, system of uh, of looking at human nature and human personalities known as the Enneagram. Now, I'm a fan of the Enneagram as a way of understanding our typology, specifically because it has an incredible spiritual aspect to it. Our listeners might not be familiar with the Enneagram, but it is, it's is—it's similar to um, you know different types of personality tests that, that we would do to understand how we we um, make decisions and deal with certain things in life. Enneagram is unique in that it's ancient. It's very old. And um, Dr. Joseph Benton, in his research, was surprised as he began to look at these teachings of Jesus and apply them to this specific typology that basically says there are basically... Nine different ways of being in the world. And every one of them is important. Every one of them matters. But they're all so different. They all hold pain different. They all hold passion differently. They're all different. So as he, as I bought the book, because I was so inspired intrigued by this, because I'm like, okay, this takes me on a totally different tangent than listening to these teachings of Jesus. It's like he's looking at a crowd of people and saying, hey, there are those of you here who really struggle with mourning. There are those of you here who are meek and gentle, and are wondering why you, you'll never have what those who are more forceful would have. Or maybe it's the opposite. There are those of you who um, have what you have because you've taken it. You've been aggressive. And for you, you can't understand that maybe for you, meekness is a better way forward. Jesus seems to be addressing something here that's paradoxical. No one would argue that. Joseph Howell just says, what if these are just Dif- Jesus is addressing different ways of being. So, as an example, if he, if we take the Beatitudes and apply it to the Enneagram, different personality types. I'm what's known as a Type Seven. So, um, that's known as the Epicurean, the uh, the um, the person who just wants to experience all of life, you know, and I, I, I don't like. Um, sorrow, I don't like sad, I just want to be happy, I just want to enjoy the pleasures of life. He would say, out of that list of Beatitudes, which one would you say challenges you the most? Now, ironically, um, I've read these, I've preached on them, but when I read the one he connected me to, I, I just it surprised me of how he kind of nailed it. Because for me, the Beatitude he says that would address... My um, way of holding pain would be, blessed are those who mourn. Flourishing are those who mourn, for you will be comforted. And he nailed it. For me.
1: Annoying, isn't it?
0: It is annoying. <laughs> and ironically, without using the lens of personalities, I would just look at this list and say, yeah, you know, these are, it's a good list here. And I can see Jesus is saying some deeply meaningful things. But I never would have connected myself to mourning. Because I'm not someone who mourns. I run from mourning. I run from sadness. But if Joseph Howell's interpretation is right, and I'm not saying it's, it's right or wrong, I'm saying if he's inspired me to anything, it's that Jesus is saying, Aaron, if you really want to flourish, it's the thing that you fear the most. Then it's not that you need to focus on it the most. It's that that's what faith is here to help you with. And that's what my way is here to help you with. He's saying, in the comfort that you seek in life, the joy, the pleasure, all that you seek in life comes through mourning, comes on the other side of it, not in avoiding it. And so for me, it just hit me that here Jesus is 2,000 years ago addressing a crowd of people who are listening. I think he's kind of hitting them right where they are, and that's why they're amazed. But like I said, we can miss the forest for the trees here. And, and not think that this is who Jesus is, um, that Jesus isn't really addressing me. It's really everybody else. What if these Beatitudes are addressing the full humanity of all we are, and we're all so different? And what intrigues me about it is because those Beatitudes are so different, you read them, that there are those that have the gift of meekness. And then there are those that struggle with meekness. Who's that Beatitude for? Right? There are those who know how to mourn and can hold sadness well for themselves and others. But what if that beatitude isn't for those people? What if that beatitude is to inspire those like me who don't want to hold mourning? You know. So here's my challenge for you, Jan. You're a fan of the Enneagram. Yes. And uh, how do you identify on the Enneagram? I
1: am a 2 it's I am a people pleaser. My drive is to be loved.
0: <laughs> it is. So, um, in Benton Howell's um, study of Jesus' beatitudes, he would say that as a two, the beatitude that would challenge not just not not necessarily your gifts in the world, but your um, fear would be. Blessed are the meek. How does that hit you?
1: Bingo. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, because, um, I mean, this is a, a path that I've been on with God for decades. I, uh, Paul talks about the spiritual life being a race, and I think we run it on an oval track, which keep hitting the same <laughs> over and over again, hopefully going a little deeper each time. So the, the notion of people pleasing and wanting the approval of others is something that I have, I have been struggling with my whole life. And so yeah. the craving of approval is to me the antithesis of meekness. One of the ways I defined meekness when we were talking about it was um, strength held in reserve. That it's okay to have strengths and be aware of my strengths but mm. I don't need to be flaunting them. I don't need to be parading them in front of other people. Yeah. I, I, I want to create space for others to get center stage and for others to yeah. get recognition and approval. One of the things I had to do when I was sort of in my early trips around the track yeah. was I wanted to, um, had to learn to dissociate giving or kindness from approval. Because I would I would bake cookies right. for the nurses at the nursing station in the hospital because then they would love me and would right. you know, be kind yeah. to me on my nights on call. And so I started to do things like if I was alone in a public washroom, yeah. I would clean up the floor. I'd pick up all the, the stray paper towel because that was a kindness to the next person, but it would never be associated with me. Wow. I would get no reward for yep. it. And so trying to get myself off that yeah. addiction... The, re- the reward and the approval and so that meekness the willingness to sit quietly and if nobody recognizes that i'm the one who did that that's cool
0: yeah you see it's fascinating talking to someone about meekness who identifies with it as something that you struggle with because that's not how i would have interpreted it even when you you preached that message on meekness um i just it's just so fascinating just so, so to recognize it then as something that actually is a message that speaks to you as your as a person and your personality and how you navigate through the world, you just flesh it all out so differently, which is beautiful, which is why I think it's important for us to consider what Joseph is saying here, that what if Jesus is addressing nine ways of being in the world, as opposed to saying everyone applies to you. So make sure you figure out how to be meek, how to be, um, you know, pure of heart. All all those are beautiful things, but there's some of those that we're going to struggle with more than others.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting where this conversation has gotten us to. I think we tend, we're, I I think society has increasingly become binary. You're good or bad, you're Republican or Democrat, you're, you know, wise or foolish. um, And and we just want a binary system. And so we just spent the last five or ten minutes talking about, uh, this is a message for community. And now we've shifted this extremely (laughs) individual. It's not either or, it's yeah. both and. Yeah. You know, when you think about uh, Paul speaking to the gifts that are given to the church, yeah. one of the gifts is generosity. Well, mm-hmm. I don't have the gift of generosity, so I don't have to give any money to anybody, or don't have to give anything to anybody. Yeah. No, in a sense it's for all of us, but yeah. there will be some people who will do above and beyond on, yes. that, on yeah.
0: that issue. Yeah, and to use Paul, again, it's, it's this idea too, he also speaks of we are the body of Christ. Mm hands and feet, and some are given better positions in the body than others, um, but they're all important, all valuable. The hand needs to know how to be a hand. There is an individual element to it, but the hand can't be a hand without the arm.
1: Right, and doesn't exist for the sake of the hand.
0: So you're right. There's a sense we are individuals within a community, which is meant to just emphasize that if I have something to offer, someone else has something to offer. Like, I think that's, that's what I think the individual idea is meant to do is to help us understand the importance and need for community, not to recognize I don't need community. So, yeah, it is, it is interesting that we've taken (laughs) this pendulum swing, yet it is, I think it's a healthy approach to say, what's my part in this? um, And what's the bigger picture here in terms of how it plays out in community? Mm -hmm. Just curious, so before I move on. How, do you, how, how then do you relate to the second half of that, par- of that beatitude then? Blessed are the meek for, flourishing are the meek.
1: For they shall inherit the earth.
0: Yeah. So from someone, like I, I love how you've described this, um, you know, you in the bathroom, you know, cleaning it up. You know, it's this idea of, of doing things without needing the reward. Um,
1: how do you, how do you, like, how does that challenge you? So, Inherit the Earth, when I did that talk, um, that particular beatitude is a direct quote out of one of the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And so, inherit the earth, or inherit the land, that, that is a, a metaphor for salvation for a Jewish community. And mm-hmm. Jesus here would have heard it that way, that um, blessed are those who are flourishing or those who are meek, mm-hmm. because they will find salvation. For me being on the uh, hamster wheel of needing approval and craving approval and doing things to get approval, this beatitude gives me salvation for that. It's salvation for me out of a a life that that led to stunted and utilitarian relationships and Hmm. an impoverished spirit.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Well, when I think back to you know my beatitude then that addresses to me the um, the, the pinnacle of my constant struggle in life. Um, not that like you said, m- other beatitudes speak to me as well, but this is the one. If we're if we're saying, you know, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Um, I would interpret that word comforted in a variety of ways, and it is the antithesis. So we can also we can all often just flip these around. Then, like you said, if yours is about you're saved in the sense from, from the sorrows and pains of this, that this life brings you by learning to be meek and understand what that would mean for you. Yeah. It'll save you from a lot of pain, a lot of grief. And for me, it's exactly the same. You know, Flourishing are those who mourn for they will be comforted. I, I just want comfort. It's all I want in life. I want the pleasures of this world to comfort me. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but what you really seek, Aaron, doesn't come in the absence of mourning. It comes on the other side of mourning. And I'm telling you, if that's the one thing, the one truth that I will wrestle through the rest of my life, like that's the one that I need to remind myself every single day um, because it just helps me. Um, And I love that. Anyways, I brought this up simply to inspire us that buried in these Beatitudes is something universal and something specific. There's just something so rich about what Jesus is saying. And I find myself, like the crowd, amazed, but on so many different levels after hearing them. So I think I'm just, I want to inspire people again that if after listening to the series, you're still not amazed. Listen again. Listen with someone else. Have conversations around them because I really do think this is the stuff. This is the stuff of faith. And as I'm sharing faith with someone who struggles in life, this is the kind of stuff that I want to share with them. These are the teachings of Jesus. And I'm like, you know, let's just read this and talk about this. How does it land on you? Which one do you struggle with? Because I think this is the way forward. So,
1: Yeah, it's, it's the secret sauce, as you say.
0: Yeah, I really do think so.
1: And it's, it's very different than what we expect. I think I referenced the uh, Monty Python movie, and now for something completely different. Yes. I, I don't know the movie, but that phrase kept going through my head as I was approaching these. That, yeah. that it's, I've often thought about the kingdom being an upside-down space, hmm. because Jesus talks about the last shall be first, and the first shall be yeah. last. and the, you, you know, You're in a high position now, but get ready for a change. And There's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. All of those things invite us into a kingdom that is upside-down. But in looking at the Beatitudes, I'm also seeing it as an inside out uh, shift. So mm. the people that Jesus was speaking to would have um, been, many of them observant or trying to be observant Jews, and they would all be concerned about their own personal righteousness. And in fact, um, after the, they returned from the Babylonian captivity and rebuilt the temple, the spirit of the presence of God never really filled the temple in the way it had in the, in the tabernacle or in mm-hmm. the temple, and so they were wondering, like, what have we done wrong? And there was this real push: if only we can be mm. more righteous, then God will be present and will bless us again. We'll get rid of the Romans. And in fact, the um, origin of the Pharisee movement was: if we must be doing the laws wrong because God's not blessing us, so mm. let's just parse it even more. So there was a strong emphasis on attaining righteousness, Mm. and you, when you think about uh, the righteousness of a community, all you can see is the outside behavior. Yeah. And so if God isn't blessing us, we all need to get with the program, and we judge Mm -hmm. each other, but the only things we can judge are the outside actions. Right, it's what we can see. It's what we can see. Yeah. And... I think lots of institutions will do that. They will enforce the behavior. They may, at some level, really want to change the heart, but they can't yeah. enforce that. And so, churches are famous for it. Mm-hmm. Every congregation will have its own sets of do's and don'ts. Some more rigid, some more. Yeah. Lower, but they, none of them are yeah. without them. Yeah. Or schools that will try and enforce a code of behavior in order to change people. Or. Um, Many, many institutions in, in authoritarian regimes, governments will try and control the behaviors of their citizens. It's the external. But this, this set mm. of teachings about flourishing are inside out. There's nothing yeah. about what the outside rigid behavior should look like. It's a renovation of the heart. It's the blessing of yes. pure in heart. Thoughts on that, Aaron? Yeah. Well,
0: you're, you're absolutely right. And this is the, the focus of everything Jesus talks about is what matters is, you know, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. You know, Jesus is constantly speaking in these kinds of terms that it's an, it's, uh, an inside job. Faith is an inside job. Um, yet, uh, Christendom has reversed that yes. because we need a way to measure. We need a way to um, scapegoat. We need to know that we're right because you're wrong. Right. And we've we've kind of lost the force for the trees. And what happens when you lose that emphasis of Jesus on the renovation of the heart is we no longer have the word transformation in our theology. Right. We have um, the, the, the idea of um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, right thinking versus right living. Um, what's the terms I'm, uh, I'm thinking of? Orthopraxy versus orthodoxy, right? We're concerned about orthodoxy, mm-hmm. right? Thinking, um, but we've lost the idea of right practice. Of what does it mean, though? Yeah. Who cares if you have, if you know all the right things in your head, but don't know what to do with them? You know, I bring it right back to our my opening thing with the Salt and Light Brigade. They had all this. They have these scriptures memorized, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter because it hasn't changed your heart. Right. You're still wanting to. Christians to learn how to do hand-to-hand combat in a car and use a <laughs> Glock to protect the flock. Like if that, there's no yeah, transformation, tragic, you know. it is. It it's sadly funny. You yeah. know, you know, that you, you laugh until you cry, because it's like, this is terrible. How have we messed up the teachings of Jesus so bad? So I, I totally agree that it's an it's and you and that's what your message is called. It's wonderful, The Renovation of the Heart, a couple weeks back and flourishing. I recommend people listen to it again because the title nails it to me, what all these are about. Jesus is doing some an inside job here, and that's what faith is.
1: Yeah, in that t- talk I referenced um, where he confronts the Pharisees and says, you cleanse the outside of the cup, but inside it's just a churn of evil thoughts yeah. and, and desires. C- cleanse the inside of the cup, and then the outside will be clean as well. Yeah. That if, if we really get the heart right, then we don't need to be so focused on the externals. Um, you know, th- again, we keep hedging everything we're saying. There can be benefit to focusing on the externals. So if I'm struggling with my spouse and you know, just being nasty all the time, I need to get at the stuff in my heart that's doing that. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, it's not a bad thing for me to stop being so nasty. Yeah, <laughs> Edwin, uh, my late husband, was a therapist, and he, he did subscribe to the fake it till you make it, that actually doing loving actions can help draw us into being a more loving person. Yeah. But that the goal has to be the transformation, the renovation of the heart, not just stapling some polite behaviors on yeah. top of this churn of of chaotic, evil thoughts.
0: Yeah. We can't can't just fake it at the expense of never trying to work on the stuff on the inside. Um, I remember reading a study one time that people who fake smile, who just choose to smile anyways, um, that those muscles that we use when we smile actually somehow release chemicals in the brain that actually can alter mood. That, it, that we should learn to try and smile. The other thing it does is it, it elicits a smile from somebody else, yes. even if it's fake. Yes. So there is truth to the fake until you make it, but it's not meant to be fake it at the expense of never trying to work on the, the inside. Right. You know, someone once said to me that when we're lost in life and don't know what to do, put your bum where you want your heart to be. <laughs> right? So if it's like, I just want to sit at home and, and, and just be depressed and watch Netflix all day, really? No, you don't. You want to somehow, you want to, you want to alter your mood. So put your bum where you want your heart to be. So go to your friend's house or go for a walk or something. There's, there's a, an element of truth to that, that maybe something will find us on the way. You know, it's not just sitting around and waiting for something. Um, there's work involved, you know.
1: Yeah, and so we we really do want to focus on that inner work, but another aspect in which these Macario statements are inside out is that the intention is to transform outward. This isn't just to make me happy in my personal relationship with Jesus or make me happy in my holy huddle with other people who are thinking about Jesus in the same way. It's meant to Mm -hmm. bust out and transform the, the broader community. And I think our, our talks on salt and light really emphasized that.
0: Yes, and I think just to, to go back then to the two statements in the previous discussion on Enneagram that we relate to, me, blessed are the mourn, those who mourn, and you, blessed are the meek. What inspires me about the community is, so for someone like me who struggles with mourning, struggles with sadness and grief, for someone like you who might struggle with meekness, I need people in my life that don't struggle with those things mm-hmm. because they will model it for me and they will teach it for me. And knowing what I struggle with should help me in choosing who it is I want to be with to challenge and inspire me. I don't just want to be with people like me. Right. If anything, the Beatitudes teach us, if, if if this is the the spectrum of human behavior, all of them matter. Yes, All of them are beautiful. We need all of those things. And we need to be in relationships with people that, that help pull all these things out of us. Mm-hmm. And not all of them will probably challenge us. That's okay. Recognize they'll challenge someone. The question is, which one challenges me and helps inspire me to be the best I can in relationship to all the others? This is where we've just come full circle. The individual is meant only to inspire us that we're part of a whole, right? Not to be by yourself. So, well, this was good. Let me just encourage those listening that as the series has ended with this podcast don't let your journey end come back to this mountain time and time again there's so much good reading material um I I do find there is a, a new movement a trend in um uh the past number of years of uh theologians that are being inspired again by these teachings of Jesus and there's lots of stuff being written talk to Jan or myself we've got a ton of books if you're interested but even just have a discussion around these ideas um And uh, you don't have to worry about not remembering how to get back to this mountain because (laughs) we're going to come back here time and time again. There's a lot more stuff Jesus says while he's got our attention. And we're going to listen because we truly believe this is the way forward because we found that ourselves. And we can't wait to share it with you. So thanks for listening. And um, be well.